This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart, and as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback, and I encourage you to continue the conversation in your own life and with your own community. Welcome to Query. Hey, Queeros, Cammie here. This is our final replay episode of the summer. Actually, I don't know if that's true. Maybe something terrible will happen. I'll have to travel again. Or maybe something amazing will happen and I'll have to travel again. But um, this week we are talking, well, I was talking, this week I'm re-talking, this is, this week is a, is Amber Hikes. Uh, Amber Hikes works for the Philadelphia Mayor's Office of LGBT Affairs and created the Philly Pride flag, which I wear on my motorcycle jacket. This person's important to me. I love this chat and please enjoy. I've been feeling wrong, but I'm still holding on, darling, I know, I know, I know it's careless. Well, I, first of all, thank you so much for being patient through technical difficulties. Absolutely, it's not a problem at all. And um, I usually start the show by having my guests introduce themselves, so would you introduce yourself? Yeah, I'd be glad to. So my name is Amber Hikes, and I am the executive director of the Mayor's Office of LGBT Affairs for the City of Philadelphia. Which is really and, uh, which is really rad. Yeah, it's really rad, actually, because uh, people don't really know this, but our Office of LGBT Affairs is one of only four similar offices in the entire country. See, so, that was going to yeah. be my follow-up question. Really? My follow-up <laughs> question was going to be like, is this a thing? Because <laughs> I don't know about this thing. My follow-up question okay. was going to be like... Uh, <laughs> Wow, I can't believe that this job exists everywhere. But it what you're saying is that it does not. Um, That's right. It's not that you were ill-informed. It is just not really a thing in a lot of places. So so we're excited about it. Washington, D.C. has an office, uh, Santa Clara County, and um, randomly, I think Union County, New Jersey is the newest office. Um, so yeah, those wow. are the four offices. And I also, I mean, I think I know the answer to this. Mm-hmm. Like, Philly is bigger than... DC. I don't know which one of those is bigger. Right. You, yeah, you, you no, might, you're right. So you're the you're right. you're in the biggest city. That's right. Fifth also, largest. that Fifth has largest. that has this. Uh-huh. Yeah, we are the biggest city that does have an office of LGBT affairs. Wow, which we like to throw around. But I'm glad you did it, so I didn't have to throw that around. I'm very smart, and I can really kind of put things together from my travels. <laughs> so don't worry about it. I'm gonna like I'm really on it. Um, how long have <laughs> have you worked in that capacity? How long has that been your job? Um, since, uh, I've been doing it since March of 2017, but our office has been around in some capacity since about 2001, actually. We've had a liaison, um, advisor to the mayor. Yeah, no, like, Philly has been (laughs) doing the damn thing. Right? Right? (laughs) Philly has been hella queer and hella on top of it for a long time. Well, Philly also has the oldest LGBT bookstore. Isn't that correct? I think it is. Yes, look at you. Okay, somebody's been reading up. I'm very impressed. Oh, I've physically been there. I've been to that bookstore. Um, you know, I travel yeah. I travel a lot for my job. So something I've been doing um, much harder since the 2016 election is like making sure to go to like if there's a queer bar, if there's a lesbian yeah. bar, if there's a bookstore, right. like just really trying to to scope out our community as I travel because, yes. you know, prior to that, I guess I was more focused on, um, I don't know, like going to bed. <laughs> 
after shows. Um, but there's no time for sleeping anymore. Yeah, no, I feel you know a strong sense of well, it might be selfishness because I don't get to participate in the community that's at my shows. Like that's mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. a community that's for everybody else that's there, and I'm so happy to provide right. that. But then. You know, I'm still like a queer person out there, so I'm trying to figure out how to cobble together that sense of safety. And it is like go visit the bookstore and like walk, th- you right. know, walk and check out the shelves. How about That's you? Right. Yeah. Like working in politics right now. I mean, what does it feel like in your office? Are you feeling um, a stronger sense of purpose, stronger sense of hope? Is it like demoralizing every day? What's the vibe? <laughs> it is a it is a combination of all of those things. I think what's interesting is like the time that I started doing this job. So like I said, it was March of 2017. So that was, of course, after the election yes. and after the inauguration as well. In fact, um, in fact, that's the reason what you're talking about right now is actually the reason that I came back to Philadelphia. I was in, I was in Philadelphia for about 12 years before um, I took a little hiatus off and went to lived in LA for about a year and a half. And I got the call. I'd expected to live in LA for at least a couple more years, but I got the call from the mayor in, uh, on inauguration day. And wow. so there's three hours, right? And so the time of my interview, um, the inauguration is playing on my television. And the first time I talked to him, he says, you watching this crap? And I said, you know, sir, I, I am. And so we have a, it's a fairly quick interview. Um, but he ended it with, you got to get your butt back here and we need to do, we need to do this work. And I had no intention of really ever being involved in politics. I'm like more of an activist, kind of like front lines person. And I didn't, I hadn't seen somebody that looks like me doing this kind of work. So I, I didn't see myself doing that work, but there was just, there was no more sidelines, right? After that election, after that inauguration, nobody's allowed to be on the sidelines. So, um, so that's why I came back and did the work and sometimes it's demoralizing but more often than not, we just see people every day that are saying, I, I didn't realize how bad it was. Maybe I'm a person with a lot of privilege. I didn't get it, but I, I've got to get it now. So it's, it is hopeful. It's more hopeful than I expected. Well, that's right. I have so many follow-up questions. Um, I guess maybe <laughs> I'll start with how you identify. How do you identify? Yeah, so I identify as a black queer woman. Yeah, so um, cis, uh, yeah, cis, queer, and black. And what were you doing in Philly prior to this? Or you, you said you were more like a front lines person. What kinds yeah. of what kinds of work was that? It was a lot of different kinds. A lot of different kinds of work. So my full time gig is so often when we're doing kind of like activist and advocacy work, we also have to have a different full time gig. But my full time gig was still in advocacy work. I was helping to get um, underrepresented, low income, first generation to college kids into into college. And so it was with this federal program called the Upper Bound Program. Oh, I and know so Upper Bound. Yeah, totally. Oh, great. Yeah. Yeah. So I did that. I directed that program at the University of Pennsylvania for about eight years. It was all um, access to education, access to college. Um, But before that, I had been working with um, young people, queer young people at the Attic Youth Center, which is our LGBT youth center in Philadelphia, and then did some social justice work with the youth law project. So I helped get um, 
young people who were struggling with bullying in their schools, um, helped to get them access to attorneys who were going to help them fight for their rights. So it was a lot of kind of advocacy work. I organized with the, the Philadelphia Dyke March for about 10 years. Uh, so it was a kind of an amalgamation of things. And I think the biggest thing I did was I threw uh, queer women's events um, as as activism. So I did kind of nightlife events. All right. And community <laughs> service stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and demographically, Philly... Yeah. Um, I actually don't know this. This is literally like me walking the streets and like making some assumptions, but but really strong black community. Um, yes. And so it definitely matters if you're doing that work that you're talking about. Like I'm imagining probably queer youth in that city, like probably a lot of folks seeking services are young black folks. And so like exactly- it matters if you, the provider is like from a demographic that can directly That's relate. right. You're representing the community that you're serving, yeah. essentially. Yeah. I am so glad that you said that because I don't think people recognize this, right? We talk about um, diversity in large cities. We talk about majority minority cities, quote unquote. But when you're talking about a majority minority city, um, and that's kind of a sociological term, which is kind of outdated at this point, but essentially it means if you count up all the minorities, they outnumber the majority. They, they outnumber white folks. And that's but true in Philly? Oh, no, sorry. I, oh, I was cutting I mean, you off. You were going to finish. Oh, yeah, no, it's fine. It's great. It's actually true in in, uh, many of our large cities. In Philadelphia, though, um, not only are we a majority-minority city, our black population, just the black population, outnumbers the white population. And and it's it's the case in Philadelphia... it, that is the case in Philadelphia, and it is unlike any of the other cities. So our other cities, obviously, New York, L.A., Chicago, and Houston are the other cities that are bigger than us. Um, but Philadelphia's black population is 44%. And um, there's no other cities that even get close to that. Even New York, um, the black population is only about 26 27%. So wow. it's... So that totally, to your point, totally changes the politics, the policies, um, and really even the activism. In, in the city, it looks different. And in the mayor's office where you work, um, are you part of a large, a strong community of black folks that are working in that office? Or or is it the kind of situation where it's like a strong black population and then and then some white folks making the making the calls? <laughs> I'm so glad you asked that question because so often that is that is exactly the case. I think there's been a lot of that in the past. That's not so much the 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 case here for our community engagement work with my office. So I'm the executive director. Um, my deputy director is also a queer black woman. We have an office of black male engagement that's headed up by two black men. We have a women's commission that's headed up by a black woman. Um, our, our person, our person that's over all the public engagement stuff is a black woman. So there are black folks that are on the ground doing the work in terms of community engagement. Um, and, and, and so that's really, that's helpful to see, especially just as a black, a black Philadelphian, right? You want to see if, if, if you were the majority in the city, you want to see yourself represented in the, in the city's workforce and the city's kind of efforts around these issues. A hundred percent. I mean, as a white person, I also feel like it's a, you know, it's a really unhealthy message to be raised in a city uh, where you aren't the aren't the majority and are overrepresented yeah. in government. Like that's not good for 
That's not good for this guy either. That's not good for anybody. That's right. Because it they gives you an, oh, an, an inflated sense of self and inflated <laughs> sense of importance. And like, oh yeah, there's, you know, folks who look different than me all around, but like the folks at the top look like me. And like, yes. that's that's who's going to fight. Like they're going to fight for my interests. My interests right. are more important, even though I'm a smaller right. p- percentage of the population. You know, all those things. I don't have to, oh. I don't have to tell you, but I mean, of course, it's just unhealthy for everybody for, uh, that's exactly. for a system to not, represent the the truth of that of that city and that place it does not surprise me now having this information that the philly pride flag is a something yeah. that you have made happen good <laughs> job right i'm so happy Thanks. i'm so happy for I'm you damn proud of it damn proud of it <laughs> it's really exciting yeah. and it's what you're talking about that's you're, we're talking about like a local context right when we're talking about the initiative around this flag or even these conversations that have happened um and when this flag became national and then international news it was so often presented without that local context so if you're a person in sydney that's hearing about this flag maybe you don't understand why it's necessary Maybe you don't understand why the voices of LGBT people of color need to be centered and highlighted. Maybe you don't recognize that these voices have been silenced and whitewashed and erased from queer history since the beginning, right? Maybe you don't recognize that. Maybe even if you're in San Francisco, you don't see that, especially if the population around you doesn't really look like this community. Yeah. Um, but in Philadelphia, especially when you're talking about a majority black community and when we're talking about the issues around racism and discrimination that we had been kind of grappling with over the last 30 years, it was, it was just common sense for us here. And what we found is that some of the issues that we were struggling with in Philadelphia, frankly, were not Philadelphia issues. They're national issues. We see these issues in Boys Town. We see them in Buckhead. That's we right. We see them in, the, in West Hollywood, in the West Village. Um, our, our community kind of across the country and across the world has been struggling um, with how we treat marginalized populations within our marginalized population. Um, Absolutely. So we just said, it's, it's time to talk about it. We can't keep um, pushing this under the rug. Well, first let's and, start yeah. by, can you give me a little context on the Philly sure. pride flag? Because I, I know what it is, but I'm sure there's going to be yeah. listeners who are less familiar yeah. with what I'm talking about. Oh, I would love to. I would love to talk about it. So a little bit of context of where it came from. Um, again, for local context, uh, over the last 30 years, activists in Philadelphia um, have been talking about concerns that we've seen around racism and discrimination in our community. So that can be, and I'll talk about some of these things and, and people may be listening saying, well, we, we've seen some of that where we are. That would be um, discriminatory practices in our, in our bars. So for instance, uh, black and brown people being asked to give three or four different types of ID when white folks could just walk in and out of the space. Um, a lack of representation in our organizations or on our boards, right? So knowing that that upper level management is all white and cis and male, but that's not what the community looks like. Um, And uh, discriminatory dress code practices when it comes to businesses and things that target specifically minority communities. Um, But really the smoking gun that was here in Philadelphia was um, uh, almost two years ago now, uh, a bar owner was caught on tape, a, a a gay bar owner was caught on tape saying the N-word over and over again. And this really just drove home the concerns and really the outrage that people of color had about the treatment they had experienced within the LGBTQ community. And there were boycotts, there were protests, um, there were calls for resignations and changes in leadership. And um, there, were, there, there was legislation that was proposed, um, hearings that happened. And when I came on, 
it was clear to me that we were going to have to address this issue um, from a substantive place and from a symbolic place. And some of the substantive things I already talked about in terms of um, policy and community conversations and hearings. But the symbolic thing was that we wanted to create a symbol that people could resonate with they could connect with, and it was a symbol that said that we stand in solidarity with LGBTQ people of color who have been uh, discriminated against within their own community, who have been silenced, who have been erased. And we see you, we love you, we are you, and you're not just a part of us, you are us. And so we added two stripes to the rainbow flag, one black, one brown. And it was just this symbol that Philadelphia is going to step up and start talking about these issues and stop acting like they don't exist. Uh, and so we raised the pride flag on Thursday at City Hall in Philadelphia, the largest municipal building in the country. And we raised it on Friday and CNN picked it up by Friday. For, no, we raised it on Thursday and CNN picked it up on Friday morning. Um, and in Philadelphia, people were rejoicing. They understood what the context was. But honey, when it hit <laughs> national... Woo! I have so much. Well, first of all, I'm going to put my arm close to the camera. Can you see that I have goosebumps with you talking about? <laughs> you do have like, goosebumps. I have like real life goosebumps because. <laughs> you do have real life goosebumps. I just, I, um, I want to take a moment and just thank you really for um, the work that you did in, in introducing. Wow. Look, it's not like I, a solution. It's not like, I don't even know what the word solution, but just like. Yeah. A. T- a uh, uh, a symbol, like a, a, a thing that, that we could, that you can agree with. Like to me, a thing yeah. that you can agree with is really important in, on it this, is. on this thing. Just something that you can say like, yes, yes, that's yeah. right. You know? And I, I remember it's seeing like, the photos of you. I remember seeing the photos yeah. of the flag being hoisted. Um, yeah. So thank you. Really. It, I, it, I, I want to tell you like the significance of you saying that. Um, I, um, so I talk about the flag a good bit, um, but I don't talk a ton about my personal experience during that time. Because I'll, I'll be I'll be honest with you, the response to the flag was largely and overwhelmingly positive. People were so grateful. And there's people of all races and backgrounds. And we had people of color coming out of the woodwork saying, you know, I never, I never quite knew why the why why the rainbow flag didn't completely resonate with me. But once I saw this symbol, I cried. Right. Or, or this made sense to me or why did it, you know, why did it take so long? How could something so simple take so long? We heard that. Um, but at the same time, I received death threats, Cameron. I received death threats from my own community. Right. And I know it was my own community because they started with as a white gay man, you know, uh, I don't, I don't want to repeat the things that were said, but, um, as painful as it was, right? It was so painful. As painful as it was, it it proved the point, right? Folks, um, they tried to gaslight people of color in the community that have been saying for, for a very long time that these issues exist. They gaslit us and said, you know, there was no racism in the LGBT community. How how could gay people discriminate? <laughs> um, how could gay people be racist? Well, the same way that people of color can be homophobic and transphobic. You yeah. understand that? Stan, you understand that, yeah. <laughs> Chad? Um, how the hell can't you understand this? Um, so it, it, so I, whenever a white person, I'll say, would be to be frank with you, whenever a white person says, "Thank you so much," like I appreciate this symbol, you know, it means it means a lot. Obviously, it means more when people of color say it. That's right. <laughs> no shame, but it means but it means a lot when white people recognize that as well. Uh, so I so I appreciate that. 
Yeah. I mean, I think that sounds exactly right. A hundred percent prioritize like the folks that <laughs> really needed to be seen. And um, yeah. I'm just saying that because, you know, it is really important to witness the truth and uh, everything that you're saying is, tr- is true. I have seen it with my own eyes. I'm glad that you mentioned Boys Town. I'm from Chicago originally. Right, and, right, right, right. Um, you know, I, I lived there during the time when in Boys Town they were fundraising a bunch of money to build this this beautiful new community center that was going to have like a Whole Foods in it. So mm-hmm. I think because it was going to have a Whole Foods in it, I mean, it does. It does currently have a Whole Foods in it. I think um, the folks in Boys Town, which are predominantly like the people who moved there 30 years ago and then bought condos. So it's a lot of like white cisgendered gay men who are older than you and I. Um, of course. And I think that they thought like we're putting our money into this thing that's going to provide us with services. Like that's we're right. going to get to go to the Whole Foods and that's then we're right. going to get to whatever. Uh, we're going to get right. to like go to our cocktail parties. Like I've been to cocktail parties, right? right. There's a beautiful like <laughs> rooftop deck and there's like a theater in there and stuff. Oh, I know it. I know the scene. You know the, the one? Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, I think then, I mean, um, <laughs> it's yeah. it's it's startling to realize that there was a there was a, an element of surprise when the center also offered the center and health center like also offered um mental health services access yep. to like hiv prevention and education um right. a way to connect to stable housing like those sorts of services and that the folks that needed those types of services were predominantly black, young, right. and and oftentimes also trans. And oftentimes right. there was also like a crossover with um, folks who did sex work. So I think right. for the, you know, these dudes who lived in these condos and, yeah. and had, and, and thought one thing about what their, their, this center would be, you know, suddenly it's like, no, you, you said this is for services. Like you said, right. this is for services for our community. So you're, so you seem stable and you maybe right. don't need these services. So these are right. the people who need these services. Right. And we're going to reach out to the folks that need the services. Yes. And that's, that's what it is for. And that's this community. I mean, I remember there, you know, there were hearings and um, there was a lot of conversation about it. There was stuff in the newspaper. And I mean, I, in, in my mind, it's still something that is unresolved. I no longer live there. I didn't, I didn't live there. Um, I didn't have like power yet and I and I made a mistake. I mean, I can own that because I, you know, I should have been like going to those meetings and saying, you know, right. as a young white person, I you're you're all full of shit. Um but I but I didn't. And yeah. now, you know, I I talk about it openly and I also wish that there was a way. It's not a community that I know anymore. Like I'm not that's not my city and I haven't lived there for a bunch of years, but um, it is something I still hold on as like a mental goal of like, God, what could I do to just like reinvest there and say like, I see that this is yeah. true. You know, I just, um, because I still think it's a point of huge tension that has like maybe never been resolved. It's gnarly. Yeah. Meanwhile, also like the gay neighborhood in Chicago is directly next to where um, the Cubs play. And there's a mm. ton of friction between the gay folks and like the sports fans that come through. The sports guys, and so yeah. I'm like- you even know this in a felt sense here. Like, so then like you're going right to turn now, in this the moment, feeling feel of this. like someone walking the streets and being like, fuck you. Like, 
that's happening. Like, this is our neighborhood. That's happening. Right? Like you're, it's, happening so now. you're just filtering it down. Like you're just filtering it down. And, um, this was exactly my experience, Cameron. When I, when I heard folks saying, this isn't your community, right? You don't get to hijack our community for this. Um, and it's, it's the same thing that they were telling trans folks who were trying to fight for, um, gender um, gender identity, uh, when we're talking about anti-discrimination legislation, right? And we're talking about sexual orientation. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But also gender identity. It's like, no, 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 this isn't for you. You're later. No, no, no. So we've done this so many different ways or when we prioritize, and I don't know how controversial this will be, but when we prioritize marriage equality over literally everything else, right? So it's, we've seen this happen again and again and again, but it's like, guys, you, you, we cannot be so myopic especially when we are such a diverse community. We have to be able to do, hopefully, more than one thing at one time. But if we can't do that, can we at least prioritize the folks that need this? Yeah. Right? Um, so it's, it's, it was fascinating to me when people are still being discriminated against and still finding finding that space to hold on. It was a very crabs in a barrel mentality. No, I hear you. And it, it's not controversial in, in this in this house, which is a podcast <laughs> studio, for you to say that prioritizing marriage equality. I mean, I, I think it's... Um, I understand the 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 fight for marriage equality as something that was accessible for a lot of folks. I yeah. I really understand that. Um and I am a married person and I, you know, I very strongly felt that shift in like our were positioning, but I also think I mean, um yeah, are you are you talking about the fact that I get like tax relief versus the fact that like somebody else doesn't have stable housing. Like that's clear. Clearly those are different levels of just like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Like clearly like it's like chill that I I have a tax break. I mean, whatever, but, um, but also I can still be kicked out of my house for being gay or lose my job for being trans. So, right. Yeah, absolutely. And like, I'm also somebody who doesn't, I'm, just by the gen, by the by the nature of my work and the income that I make, I'm not at I'm not um, at risk for being right. in an right. unstable housing situation, regardless of whether or not that's I'm married. Right. Like it's just not it's not that's not my thing. I get kicked out of my place. I can go to a hotel. I can. That's find right, and that's place. recognizing that privilege, right? But I think that's that's the point that I'm making is that it feels like when when we were having those conversations, there were not enough conversations about privilege and that access. Yes. So that's that's wonderful that for this marriage equality conversation, that is your greatest priority. Because when we're talking about Maslow, you don't have to be concerned about shelter and food, right? That's cool. Yep. So you're you're all the way up here. But it was the same conversation when we were talking about racial identity um, within the LGBTQ community when folks are buying batting saying, well, this flag represents all of us. This doesn't, race has nothing to do with it. I'm like, that's privilege. Yes. Because for you, you're right. Race isn't a part of the conversation. Because your race has nothing to do with the conversation. You haven't been kept out because of that privilege, right? Because of that access. But until we can have conversations around privilege, we can't move the needle forward. And that's what I love about what you were saying earlier about thinking about that Chicago conversation that you weren't able to step into um, at that time. But now that you have more privilege, you're able to look back on that, um, examine where you are with your privilege and find out how you can use that access to hopefully disrupt other systems where you are now. Right? Absolutely. So I mean, I mean that, that's, that's exactly, that's, 
that's exactly what I'm doing. That's why I'm having these conversations. That's right. why the, the, the organizations that I try to be involved with here in LA are, um, oftentimes led by people of color or, you know, I, yeah. I, tr- I try to spend, I've also been trying to be like very conscious about spending my money within the community. Good. I just think there's like, Perfect. we're in this moment right now where we can make a lot of decisions and, um, you know, I have I have so much privilege based on my skin color. Then I also am like a butch woman. So then I also mm-hmm. have that. And but then right. I also am cisgender. And I think it's it's what is so awesome about being LGBT is that we you can really choose to view it as a family, which is what I do. I, I really feel it really feel a strong sense of family. Um, yeah. And I think that you know it's about looking at the things that. I have to offer the other members of my family. And then also, you know, giving somebody else with more privilege the opportunity to, like, understand some shit that's bigger. Yes. Like Because that's the other thing. We, we talk about, like, diversity or um, understanding of the other, like, it's charity and as opposed to um, right? an expansive way of being in the world. Like, I mean— Just showing up. Yeah. Right? Showing yeah, showing world. up, learning, like, knowing knowing. <laughs> more knowing beyond being a better freaking person you're talking about the difference with and this is so great and i, I don't often hear people talk about it this way but you're talking about the difference between like allyship and accomplishment and what you're talking and at this point we really need especially in this this political climate we need to be all moving towards a place of accomplishment right and so sometimes that means putting ourselves on the line it means speaking up when it's necessary um but what i call it is it's really being political in place mm. so finding out how you can um, exercise this kind of this kind of accomplishment wherever you are. So if that means putting your money where your mouth is, that's cool. What what I love is this this idea of um, looking at the privilege that you hold in the spaces that you're in, stepping up when that's necessary, stepping back when it's necessary. Right. So my identities, I told you, put them a black woman. That's a lot of marginalized identities. Like you said, I'm also cis. So I am often exhausted and don't feel like fighting sexism and homophobia and racism, but I always got time to fight some trans people, right? So you coming for trans folks, non-binary folks, you're going to get this work, right? Like that's, I'm going to step up and do that because I have the space for that, but I'm damn sure going to call in some white folks to deal with some, some crazy racist jacket. That I'm is, always, I, I don't feel like to people because I don't have that. time. For that. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Take a break. I got I got racism for like ten minutes. For the re- for the next ten minutes, I got this. Uh, no, that's such a good. I love that way of thinking about it. You're totally right. That's yeah. just so beautiful. You know, I also I would be remiss if I didn't like point out that uh, um, not not only have has not only was the Philly Pride flag like impactful in that moment, but I'm thinking about. Uh, Lena Waithe wearing it as yeah. like a cape at the Met Gala, and then Kamala Harris wearing a graphic of Lena Waithe's cape to march in like Pride. I mean, to me, there's. Oh my God, I haven't a, seen this. I gotta see. Oh my God, see you Kamala. haven't seen what? this? Oh, it's so yeah. fucking cool. Oh, I'm so excited for you. Um, you yeah. Oh, I gotta see this. I'm gonna make I'm sure that you see myself. it. No, so. Kamala Harris wore like a white tee uh, yeah. that had the outline of Lena's cape on it to March in Pride. Like, oh look it up right now. Like, literally God. look it up right the fuck now. 
Oh, I know, right? I don't want to, yeah. <laughs> no, but it's it's really cool. cool. So, I mean, Absolutely. you know, you're also giving like something that folks can pass. So just thinking about um, Lena having more spotlight, like yeah. still a queer black woman, but like having Absolutely. more spotlight. So taking your work and like elevating the the conversation yeah. there. And then Kamala, like I'm... I'm an elected official. I am walking in pride. There's going to be people taking photographs of me. So like, I'll call back to this, which calls back to this. And I I think that's another thing that I've been really, I don't know, just excited about in the last couple of, maybe it's even just months, just the way that maybe we're finally starting to like make some larger connections. Right. And it continues the conversation, right? Mm-hmm. Because people see it, they ask about the additional colors. Um, and then where, however people feel about it, whether they are really excited about it or they feel in some way threatened by it, I think that's kind of the best way that I can, that I can kind of um, encapsulate the, those feelings around it. Um, you're able to have a conversation. And that was, that was what we were really proud to be able to do last year be able to continue this conversation that frankly we've been having in Philadelphia for decades, um, but be able to have other folks have it. And hopefully, even if it's people of color that have to start the conversation, being able for them to, to be, be able to kind of harken back to this image and say, I'm not crazy, right? Like this is a real thing, right? Because people will try to gaslight you, but it's like, no, this is a real thing. This was such a real thing that this whole city created this image to address this thing. So let's talk about it and do something about it. Also, I mean, I am completely struck by the, you know, okay. This this thing, you know this thing. Um, why do we why 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 do we need to have gay pride when right. when when we should also have straight pride? Like every queer person has, every queer person has heard this, and then we all know Absolutely. in like we know the jokes that you can respond to that. We know the felt sense of why. We know the answer, which is like, well, kind of every day is straight pride. You know, like we know Literally all. Every day. Of the responses, um, it's a safety issue. It's not a safety issue. It's also just like a celebration of community. Like we know all the responses. Right. So for a queer right. person to not be able to, like, for a white queer person to not be able to imagine literally the yes. exact that they yes. are asking literally yes. the exact question, <laughs> literally the exact question. We have a pride flag. Why do we need these extra stripes? I'm like, do, do you not? Oh, this is the, the this is the question. All the movements that you're making, all the frustration that you're communicating was me for the entire, like June of 2017 to really yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> Anytime it comes up, I'm just like, I'm going to, I'm just literally going to take this one word out of this sentence and replace it with this. Yeah. Do you understand why that's problematic? I'm going to need you to use some critical thinking skills here. Oh God. Like if I say this, do I sound homophobic? Yeah, you can't say that. That's homophobic. Right. So like you sound racist right now. Yes. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. I'm not. I'm not racist. I just think you guys are doing too much. It's not necessary. Everybody was already represented. Well, why do we have a why do we have a rainbow flag at all? If we we were all represented under the American flag, weren't we? Are we all, <laughs> it's just ridiculous, right? It was it was it was fascinating. Really fascinating. I guess that's, I can't also yeah, it is. Yeah, that's privilege. It's also, it's so, it's so funny to think about like what, um, the accommodation that's being asked for versus the like injury mm. being done. And again, mm. you know, when I think about, or the injury that has been done and is continuing to be done, like, uh, so this is a flag that you don't even have to have it at your house. <laughs> it's just, it just exists. 
This is just it's a just flag that exists. In the world. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's an additional option. Right, to it's all just the options we already a have. thing that you don't even have to look at it. It's it just it just exists. There we go. Yeah, like it's just this is just a con- a flag that exists, and um, the then world. the rest then that is uh, that's the thing being asked is that you yeah. can abide by the fact that this exists, and then the the <laughs> that's the counterpoint to that is like. The, the racism that America was built on and continues to exude every day. So, like, I just mean in terms of, <laughs> you know, like, oh, the scale of that. I appreciate the common sense. I the, appreciate the scale the of that. Because, I, I mean, I really relate to that as, um, you know, sometimes just doing my job, being a stand-up comic for years, There's there's been a lot. I, the feedback that I get that helps me to understand feedback that other folks get is the like, why do you even do this job kind of a thing? And I'm like, well, I mean, number one, um, some people pay me to, to, to talk to them. So I do it because, um, because it's how I make a living and, um, like I'm kind of successful actually. Uh, (laughs) but then, but then also like you just, it's so easy for you to look away from this. And I don't mean like, I'm not saying, um, like, the best thing would be for you to be, for some other person to be, like, some uh, cis straight dude, and he's, like, has an open-minded, he he is a he is enough in his body and enough in the world that I'm his favorite comic. Like, that's a best-case okay. scenario, right? Yep, yep, but the yep. other the other option is, like, that you um, just want me to have a right to exist. Like, that's the other mm-hmm. option. And then the <laughs> other option is, like, that you don't care, like, that you just— allow it to happen outside of your purview. And I think that, um, I mean, obviously I am a person that believes that like racism should be acknowledged and fought, but God, so little is being asked of white people in terms of just like, I just want to just, I just want to admit that I'm here or something. And then that so (laughs) little is being asked of white people. so basic. And when we, I mean, to be fair, we, kind of talked about that because what we're talking about is kind of equality versus equity, really, right? Yeah. Um, and so when we when we raised the flag, I talked about, like in my, in my speech, I talked about, um, for those of you who don't understand why these extra stripes are necessary, I want to ask you what story they told you about Stonewall, right? Like, did they tell you that that was the night or the nights that the community fought back, right? Because Stonewall even can sometimes be so whitewashed, right? It's like, no, we're talking about black and brown trans women that who were the most marginalized among us then and now put their bodies on the line and they said, you know what, fuck it, not tonight. No, we're not gonna do this. And then they, they're the ones that threw that, you know, they're the ones that got it started. But that history even is so whitewashed and it continues to be whitewashed. So this one simple symbol, right, was this opportunity to say, we're here, we're queer, Y'all going to hear it. Y'all going to hear it. <laughs> yeah. You got to get used to it. And yeah. we need y'all to start standing in solidarity. And it was fascinating. It was a little bit of a gut check to find out who in our community is, is with us and who needs a little bit of work to say the least. <laughs> Um, I don't expect you to be the person that answers this, but because of your job, I am going to ask this question. Um, okay. What would you have wanted to hear from white folks in the community 
So mm. I'm not asking you as like a white person asking no, a black person, like speak for black people. It's literally like, a, you know, this is just like personally, this is I your project to. and you know, yeah. you're putting it out there. Like what would, what would have been the response? Specifically the response to the flag when we raised it, it would have been essentially what you said when you, when you saw, you know, your, your visible goosebumps, the hair yeah. literally raising on your, on your arm. I would have loved to see white folks, as excited, enthusiastic, and supportive as I saw people of color. And there were plenty of white folks that were that supportive, but I would have loved to see even more of that. I would have loved for them to see that image and say, oh, God, I didn't get it before, yeah. but I get it now. I would have loved for them to not have needed the damn flag in the first sure, place, sure. right? I would have loved for that to not have been even necessary. But um, best case scenario, I would have loved white folks to have been as encouraged and supportive in the same way. And I would want, I, and we have plenty of white folks in Philadelphia and, and all over that wave this flag proudly as their flag in the same way that as a cis person, when I'm marching in a, in a pride parade, I'm holding the black and brown strike flag and I'm holding a trans flag, right? In solidarity. It doesn't take anything away from me and my identities to wave flags of communities that I'm in solidarity. And that would have been the appropriate response, right? Allyship, accomplish, uh, accomplishship, stand up, right? And be in mm -hmm. solidarity with this community. That's awesome. And then now, like, moving away from centering white people. Fuck white people. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> um, for, your, for folks in Philly and yeah. any amount that you feel like you can speak to a national feeling right now, like, what mm -hmm. are you seeing— are you seeing the, I feel like I'm seeing some changes in the centering of black folks, the um, connection between like, we're like kind of talking about Lena and then Kamala, like there's not a white person in that group or whatever. And that, right. that those people are talking. Um, is that something that, that you're seeing in Philly? Like, are you seeing folks being like bolstered by this flag or are there other things that you're seeing that are, that are, that are working to, to, oh God, yeah. you know, accommodate the more marginalized I mean, members of our community? Oh, God, so many things, right? And again, in, in Philadelphia, I can only speak to Philadelphia because that's where I, that's where I am now. But I can tell you, um, this is an activist city. This is a progressive city. We are radical as hell. And this is a person, I'm, I say this as a person who's lived in a lot of other large cities, but Philadelphia does not play. Specifically when it comes to LGBT activism, we we had um, our LGBT pro protests kind of predated Stonewall by four years, right? We were out there like fighting, <laughs> rabble rousing. Uh, we take that whole life, liberty, pursuit of happiness thing pretty, pretty seriously in Philadelphia. So the, the activism... Um, has been happening for a long time, which is why something like this was possible in Philadelphia. But I'll tell you, for a long time, there have been um, queer trans POC exclusive spaces, and we're seeing even more of that. Um, and it's not, I mean, it's not because of the flag. It has nothing, it has, I mean, you know, it's adjacent sometimes to the flag, but frankly, it has everything to do with the politics of the city, the demographics in the city. Um, we are a very heavily POC city. We are radical city, we're a progressive city. I mean, literally right outside of my office, um, we have the Occupy ICE protests that are happening. So these are like Occupy ICE protesters that are occupying City Hall right now, at um, calling for an ending of uh, the abolishment of ICE, right? So like we are constantly protesting in the city. We are constantly pushing for 
radical progressive politics. Um, and so what I continue to see um, specifically in the LGBT uh, POC spaces uh, is just really um, a continued um, appreciation for who we are and the the uh, the ability and the strength um, to really take up more space that belongs to us and has been to us. Um, so whether that's in social events, whether it's in, in protests, whether it's in programs that are uh, POC, LGBT POC exclusive, we're really seeing that. And we also see a lot of white folks using their resources to support those efforts, right? So not necessarily taking up space and saying, oh, this is happening, I need to be there, right? Because if it's an exclusive space, not asking for the body, right? Maybe just asking for resources. What can I do? Do y'all need some cookies? Do y'all right? Do y'all need uh, water? What kind of resources do you need? I'm seeing that kind of solidarity happening as well. Um, but really, this activism has been happening for ages. Um, right. It's just getting it's getting more coverage, which frankly is overdue. Yeah, I mean, and, and part of that is also the shifting. Um, you know, who who is making the media? Like, I just mean, you know, yeah. that's that's a great. So often when we talk about like social media, especially if you're like living in a white narrative, it can be very much about like, yeah, it's like the rise of Donald Trump came from that. And but I think uh, oh, wow. just the idea to kind of like democratize creation and uh, um, witnessing and documentation of the actual events that are happening. That's, that's really rad. That's been happening the last couple of years. It's not, it's not like, I'm not, I'm not, I don't feel positively about the things that I'm seeing. I feel positively about the fact that the person who's showing me that thing is somebody from that community or somebody who was actually a part of that event, part of that protest, like that it's not a like camera crew that's 20 miles back, but a person with their phone who's able to it's in it, in it. Right? It's in the action. They're it's in a, it and they have the context. And, and um, so I think that's another thing that's been happening in terms of, you're right, Not it's not new. I mean, I think for white people, some of this does feel really new. Yeah. You know, we're like, oh I mean, my God, this, the, the, this isn't us thing. This isn't us. That, I'm like, I was literally about <laughs> to say, this isn't my country. And black people are like, girl, where? How? I mean, <laughs> just read a history book, this, honey. This, this isn't is us. I feel like this is us. <laughs> this is like foundationally this. This country. is this could not be more us. This boy is this like us. Literally yeah. what it was founded on. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's very that is very much true. I think I yeah. think that um you know, the, the, I think the reason that it feels the, like, this is an us thing, which is so mind boggling, mm-hmm. I think is and a lot. Maddening, frankly. I maddening. hear that. That makes a lot of sense to me. I'm sure that that's true. Um, I think is partially an age where it's like older white folks, mm-hmm. they um, either lived through some shit and fought back or they didn't give a fuck. Like this, mm-hmm. this already, mm-hmm. this already happened for them or whatever. Like mm-hmm. we already, mm-hmm. they already know who they are. They already know that they that's don't right. give a fuck and they're sitting on the sidelines or they know that they so were bad. out there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's older white folks know that. And then I think for younger white folks, like for myself, and I'm 36, I'm not like a young person, but I just thought that the arc of history was bending towards um, acknowledgement and movement for justice. So I think that this feels 
like an unanticipated backslide, but <laughs> that is silly, you know, of because right. because the actual movement was so minute that That's right. you know that that it's that the backslide is is much more a continuation than I think the the size backslide that it feels. That's exactly right. And I think if we're, we're, we're students of history, then we know specifically in this country, any periods of great progress have been met by these kind of periods of backsliding, as, as you say. This is always the case in, in, in this country. I mean, go back to Reconstruction and, and you know, way before then, we take three steps forward and six steps back in, in this country, which is why we're essentially fighting the same issues that we've been fighting for the last three, 400 years. Um, so, so frankly, like as a person with so many marginalized identities, a person who all their identities are rooted in struggle and protest, right? It, this feels very American to me. And, and as disheartening as that, as that seems, um, there are some pieces of that that are, inspiring, right? Because there is always that period of progress that will come after this backslide to you to usual. This is this is quintessentially American, un- unfortunately. But but if there's anything that's going to galvanize Americans, it's it's going to be it's gonna be this. I mean the, the movement, we are in the movement, but the movement is also it's coming, frankly. Yeah. And I mean sound too radical. But uh, I'm not doing a very good job of covering up activist roots. <laughs> um, I'm, so, I'm here know, for let, it. Let the movement come. I'm right? here let for it. Well, I also th- I also think that to your point, um, conversation, listening, reading, <laughs> fucking f- taking, availing yourself of the resources on social media, like yeah. f- looking at somebody's mm-hmm. timeline that that doesn't share your, your demo or whatever. Like, I think, um, anybody who is in a moment right now of feeling like this isn't us. I mean, that, that to me is, that's a person that's not going to be very helpful (laughs) in this moment with solutions or with, uh, how to survive to me. Because that person's in in mourning, right? That person is in mourning. They're grieving something that frankly, if you ask me, was never there, but that person's in mourning. So that person needs to take, they're taking time to grieve. They are not going to be useful in in the fight. Yeah. So I think exactly. Yeah. So the, (laughs) so really, I mean, the, the good news is that if you want some instruction and some information, it's Mm -hmm. really just shifting to the folks for whom this is not a shock. And, That's right. And That's right. like listening, acknowledging, and Li- following that absolutely. example. Listening, absolutely listening to them, right? But also recognizing that to that to that grief point, um, there are so many of us, especially if you're a member of multiple marginalized communities that have been doing this work for so long, we are profoundly exhausted. Right. And so those folks that do hold more access and privilege, like recognizing that this is not affecting you in the same way, no matter how much you're grieving, it is not affecting you in the same way um, than it is affecting other folks who are who are under who are under attack. Because let's let's think about it. So there's queer. um, Let's talk a a gay white cis man. Right. He is under attack um, because of his queer identity. If he is a man that's living with disabilities, then that's another identity to throw on top of that, right? If he is a part of a racial minority, then that's another identity, right? If he's trans, that's another. But 
But think about those of us who live only on those margins, right? Folks who are living in poverty, folks who are living with HIV, folks who are, who are immigrants, those people are under attack constantly. And they, sh it should not be their responsibility to carry that. So while we should look to them to help, um, help frame for us kind of the conversation that's being had, we shouldn't look to them for all the labor. Really quickly, I really, much of it no, I, at all, I right? think that's such a good point. I'm so glad you said that. I think I was speaking specifically to information. So if this feels yes, surprising yes. to you, go get maybe some different information from somebody that <laughs> is right. less surprised. But mm -hmm. um, I, I'm so glad that you said that because, yeah, of course it matters right now for like people to not just show up to the women's protest or like whatever you know what I mean, the women's march. Like, of course it mm -hmm. matters right now um, to go. I mean, I was at the the ICE protest here in Los Angeles mm -hmm. a couple weeks ago, but also there are smaller ones that I haven't been going to, you know? So I just mean, like, it's, I think, as much as can be handled by you and you still do your job and, like, do the things that you need to survive, I think you're totally yeah. right. This is a moment to stretch yourself and to mm -hmm. make sure to, like— yeah, maybe you're not the source of information. Maybe you need to get some yeah. information from elsewhere, but you could put your money, you can put your body or whatever's the right thing. Do do that. <laughs> to do that. Just, yeah. just do that. Yeah. And some of the things that we're talking about, um, we talk about when we're having these conversations, we're talking about like leadership development within the LGBTQ community. So part of what my office does is um some capacity building work. So when I'm talking about that, I'm talking about the fact that um, the leadership in our community, and really this is this is across the country, across the world, it, it it's it looks one very particular way. And that has been to our detriment, very, very frankly, right? We have not had uh, a great cross-section of ideas and experiences that are showing up to this work. So we are developing a community leadership pipeline, essentially, that's focused on people of color, trans folks, youth and elders, folks who have like specifically been left out of the experience and the leadership in this community. We are, we are, this is a for us, by us effort to help, um, really help build capacity within our, our community, but actually like put, again, put our money where our mouth is and making sure that we are setting up the next generation of leaders in, in this community. My mom always talked about, um, success, uh, success, the measure of success being not necessarily just getting to the summit, but once you get there with all your might, throwing the rope back down for the people that are coming behind you, right? And we we need to do a better job of that in this community. We need to specifically be making sure that we're throwing it back down for the folks who have had to climb with a frayed rope, or been given no right? Um, and so that's that's the way our community is gonna continue um, thriving. Uh, but. Yeah. But we, we have to do a better job with our, the generosity of our leadership. I hear that. I mean, that's it's been such a priority for me in the work that I've done. And I, I know it can always uh, – I know I can always do better. I know I can always improve. But I the thing I, – I don't – there's not a rope analogy. I use the <laughs> hold the door open. You push, okay. you push through the door, and then you hold the door open. You don't ever that's shut the it. door behind you. And, that's um, it. That's it. You know, that is something that I've – been very consistently talking about that I do take on as like a personal mission is right. um, doing everything you can to not shut that door. That's right. So, I mean, and I, and I will say, I see that in our community. I mean, yes. truly, if I'm being honest, like there, there weren't a ton of folks who held the door open for me. I have privilege. Right. 
elsewhere. But that was not something I saw in the queer community. And it was something that I like rejected and and was pretty disgusted by to to be, you know, to be really frank. Like I saw folks squeak through and then be like, yeah, fuck you. I mean, so, so I, it's, it's actually in experiencing that myself and going like, man, really? Like, you know what this is like, you know, you know what this is like. So then therefore like, I literally want to be nothing like you. We have nothing in common. If you shut the door, we have nothing in common and you are my nightmare. And like, and I, you know, go fuck yourself truly. (laughs) And, um, that nothing makes me more angry than that. So wow, certainly not nailing it. No, go ahead. What were you gonna say? No, I was just going to say that is fascinating. That was exactly my experience as well. And it's, it's kind of how I ended up in this, in this work. There had been so many, to use your door analogy, there had been so many doors that have been slammed in my face mm-hmm. in, in, within this community, mm-hmm. right? Yep. I wanted to do this kind, of, this kind of work, whether it had been in an LGBT nonprofit, whether it had been serving on boards, help sometimes, Cameron, even volunteering. And there was just never a seat at the table. Um, and, and, and frankly, it was historic systemic oppression. Like it was intentional mm-hmm. and it was made very clear to me that it was intentional. And I find this so often with people that look like me and have my, have my experiences. And I saw it very often with women and this is, this is white women as well. Certainly when you added on that they were, that they were black women, they experienced it even more. And folks that came from basically no means, there were just no reset resources whatsoever. And the stakeholders and the gatekeepers were very hell bent on making sure that the people around that table continue to look just like them. And so frankly, if I'm being honest with you, that's kind of how I got into doing nightlife, doing kind of social events in that way. I, like you were saying, you know what? Fuck you. Cool. You're going to hold these spots just for the dudes that look like you. I got you. I'm going to create space for people that look like me. And so my events were specifically for queer women, trans folks, and specifically queer women of color. And it's like, you know what? That's fine. These spaces have always been healing spaces for us. And so clearly we need a relief that's outside of this bullshit in the real world. Yeah. So we're going to have our own spaces. And that's what I did. I created that. And that was my activism, right? Like that was yep. my movement. And it, it exploded. It was so clear. It was really just a supply and demand kind of thing. People were so desperately craving spaces with people that were in community with them, that looked like them, and they flocked to it. And then from that, we were able to continue building community in different ways. So it started with nightlife, then it became community service, right? Then it became kind of activism with the Dyke March, whatever it was, and now it happens to be City Hall. Um, but but that's but we got to get in wherever we wherever we can because yeah. those doors have always been slammed in our faces. You and I have a lot in common. It sounds like. I mean, yeah. I I um I will say that. For me, the people that helped me the most to get to where I am were allies because I think for mm. other folks it felt very threatening. You know, mm, people mm, that were that, mm. that had some overlap with me, it was like, no, this is mine and I'm going to protect it. And I mean, wow. yeah, terrible treatment and slammed doors and betrayals and um, non-help. I mean, That's call right. it whatever you want. And I think that, you know, on top of which, there are other people that don't look like me that are also slamming doors in my face. So it's it's like the five percent of people that want to that want to be allies have helped me so much, and then it yes. was hard work. And you know what? That's that's like, I just, I feel like I'm just never I'm never going to leave that experience behind because I I, right. I see people do that and they get their little you know family thing or whatever whatever they get whatever they wanted and then, you know, the gates go up and it's just, yeah. um, I mean, it's antithetical to 
what I'm trying to do. And it sounds like you and I have a lot in common. And I am it does. so grateful for this conversation. I'm so grateful Thank that you, you exist and are doing the work that you're doing. Thank um, you so much. And, and I want to ask you before I send you off into the rest of your evening, if you would shout out a queero, which is like a person or place or, or something yeah. that made you feel strong in the, in the human being that you are today. Yeah. So I don't know if I've made it clear, but I'm a big fat nerd. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've always, <laughs> I try to sound cool sometimes. I'm a big nerd. I always have been. Um, and I've, I've always been like a voracious reader. Um, I was an English major in college and just really obsessed with the books. And so I would say before any other medium, like books gave me a reflection of myself and my identities. I know for a lot of people, there were different kind of forms of media that they found that with, but for me, it was books. And so um, my shout out is to Alice Walker, uh, which is old school shout out, Very tried cool. and true, uh, specifically for The Color Purple. The Color Purple was like the first reflection that I saw of myself. Um, so that dynamic with Shug Avery and Seeley, like that was that that was that was it for like a young queer girl that didn't really have any reflections. And like at the time I, I lived in I lived in Atlanta, Atlanta, um, didn't have any reflections of who I was in the world. And and um and it might have been kind of a small part to other people that didn't reflect those identities. But honey, when I say I would just read those parts over and over and over again, um, because that that visibility was just, uh, I mean, it's not an overstatement to say that it was shattered. It was curve shattered. So shout out to Alex. Yes. 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 Absolutely. Oh, <laughs> I read it in high school. And like yeah. then saw the movie and stuff. I think I had no understanding of anything in high school, so. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> like, I just mean, I like, like in I, general, I was, just like I was <laughs> confronting a lot of things on a lot of different, <laughs> you know, like I, I was reading that on. book just like, this is, I do, I do like these two people. Um, <laughs> but, um, well, you, you're, you know, you're the truth. You know that. Um, you are too. Yeah. And, and, um, Amber, like, just keep rocking. I'm going to get one of those Philly pride pins that you have. I got you. Shoot me an address and I'll send it out to you and your team. Oh my God. Yes. I can't wait yes. to wear that. You know what you could um, also do? You could yes, update your me. logo. You need some extra stripes on your logo. Your queer, your logo. Wow. <laughs> yeah, are you that's right? Call out. That's really right. Okay. Um, heard Sierra, my producer, <laughs> please take a note. I completely agree. That is awesome. You know what? You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. I can hear that, and you are totally correct. And um, thank you so much for your time, truly. Absolutely. Thank you, yeah. Karen. I had a good time. <laughs> <laughs>